Everything is Awesome is part of Courts and Parts, a podcast network featuring pop culture, TV, movie, and geek podcasts. Check out some of our other shows, like TV Ate My Brain, Let's Chat with Revelant Friends, and Podstalgic at courtsandparts.com. Welcome to this week's edition of Everything is Awesome. I am your host, Kev, and this is the show where we sit down and talk to awesome people about awesome things. Uh, while we're in the, the midst of the Philadelphia Podcast Festival and we're celebrating the fifth annual Podcast Fest by having a lot of shows on that are uh, from Philly podcasters talking the Podcast Fest, we still have our regular show to do. We still have uh, to talk to all those non uh, Philadelphia podcasters, uh, whether they're podcasters, artists, uh, comedians, whatever, we are going to continue to do our normal show, and that's what we have this week. This week, uh, we are lucky enough. They it came across my desk. Uh, at, you know, you know, an artist who is doing, um, and I'm sure we'll get to it in the conversation where he can clarify it a little bit more. But uh, a, what's called an oracle deck, which to the very brief, uh, and as you guys know, I do usually no research, but the really brief research I did is connected to tarot cards. Um, and so just the fact that that's uh, something that I know of, know nothing about, but know of, uh, and just have a keen interest in it um, after seeing someone that wants to talk to me about it, I, I want to talk to them about it. So please welcome to the show, uh, artist and uh, f- currently Everything is Awesome's resident tarot card expert, uh, Matt Hughes. Hey, Kev. Thank you for having me. I'm definitely not an expert on tarot, but more <laughs> of the art side than tarot, I think. Yeah, well, it's, you know, like I said, um, I, uh, when I saw that's what your project that you're working on now, uh, is, uh, and so what's, what's the difference between an Oracle deck and a tarot deck? I, Cause I couldn't really see the difference when I started like browsing, at least art wise and design wise. Like I was, it looks very similar, but like you're, cause you did a tarot deck and now you're doing an Oracle deck that, you know, is part of the, the reason we're having this conversation and they look very similar. So like. Is there a difference, at least like artistic-wise, or is it pretty much the same across the board? So I think it depends on the way you approach it. Um, a tarot deck is a lot more structured, has a, a, a lot more um, rich history than Oracle decks. Tar- tarot decks, are the one I did anyway, was based on the Rider Waite deck. Um, and there's a set number of cards. Uh, it's very similar to what people think of as a normal deck of playing cards. Um, okay. Like you'll have, you know, uh, pentacles and swords, whereas in a playing card deck you might have diamonds mm. and hearts. And, and there's kings and queens. And then on top of that there are uh, major arcana cards, which are, that's really what makes the tarot deck a tarot deck. Mm. And when the when you get into the meanings of the, particularly the major arcana, you start getting into the, the real history of the cards. As far as the Oracle deck in comparison to Tarot deck, Oracle deck has a lot more has a lot more open ended meaning to it. Okay. Which is why a lot of um, Tarot decks or uh, Oracle decks that are out there now have 
their own themes. A lot of them will be, you know, so they could be astrological. Some of them could be animals. Um, the number of cards varies in the deck. Like I said, the tarot deck is usually 78 cards, but a oracle deck can be anywhere from, you know, the one I'm doing is 36 cards, and okay. sometimes they go up to, you know, in the 50s. Okay. Um, yes, my, I mean, I would say that my experience with uh, any kind of that uh, tarot or, or, or I've only known, obviously, the, the, the tarot uh, deck term because uh, that's, I, I don't know if mainstream is the right word, but I'll, I'll say mainstream. Uh, <laughs> re, and that, I would say my most recent exposure is uh, 13 Reasons Why on Netflix. They have uh, the one character that has a, that does tarot readings. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it's it's not something that um, it's it's something that I guess is like mainstream enough to like, like everyone kind of knows about it. But it's still kind of it's this cool little um, thing. Like I've never I'm not I'm not into like that side of mystics. I guess like it's not something that I've I'm not a big I'm not a firm believer in like psychic readings or you know re- I guess tarot card readings or anything like that. I I respect it. I respect the people that. Um, that do uh, truly believe it because each their own, just like I would hope that people respect what, you know, I, I dig um, and, and believe in, but uh, it's, it's something that's like, I don't know. It's, it's looking at the art for it. Uh, and, and I guess coming from it from that angle is where like I kind of connect. Cause it's just the, the art that I saw for your, your stuff that you're doing is tremendous. Um, but before, I guess really before we get to, to you doing that, where did doing, you know, where does art, you know, come in your origin point? Were you a kid and you were just really into it? Or is it something that like kind of fell into your lap later in life that you fell in love with? Yeah. Um, my wife jokes around me all the time. She said I was uh, three years old carving in the wall with a crayon. I think. <laughs> um, but she, uh, yeah, yeah, she, she was, as far as the tarot deck is concerned, she was definitely the, the gateway for me to get involved okay. in the tarot deck because she's a lot more, um, educated, had a lot more experience with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and every card I was doing, I was approaching it from an artistic standpoint, okay. whereas you know, she kind of kept me in line as far as the meaning and, and the symbolism mm-hmm. in each card. Um, and she was just writing me notes just now telling me this, uh, the difference between the, what do you say, the oracle was a? Well, the, the tarot and the oracle, the tarot is a, um, it's more divination. Um, there's a set, uh, layout for reading okay. and a lot of people have there's there's different types of cards there's like the Norman Tarot there's the Rider Waite there's Toth uh, different people like the art uh, and there's history with it because if you look at the Tarot it started as a playing card game in okay. France I've actually been studying the history of it um, the Oracle is actually more of a meditation and a guide that can be used with or without and uh-huh. the art ranges hugely with that um and when we started we actually wanted to get this right because i don't know a whole lot about it i just love the artwork and the history of it but from what i understand is there's two patterns of thought with tarot and one is they think it's it is a spiritual connection and they have guides but most readers that we've worked with we've worked with about three actual professional readers it's more of a it's a it's it's kind of like a Rosterich test where you're putting down things and you're helping people discover their own answers. Like they ask questions. Each card is laid out in a place that it has a certain meaning, so you guide them. And um, the artwork uh, 
is 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 so vast with this deck, and that's what I loved about it. And I've been trying to get Matt to do his own set for a while, and um, but it's a daunting amount of cards. And finally, he did it, and uh, everybody liked it. So yeah, and the and the Oracle, the Oracle, the reason why we did an Oracle right after the Tarot was that. Um, so I'm working on these cards for a year. I get to the last 78 cards and um, I decided to do two more. Uh, so I did 80 cards in the deck and the two uh, extra cards were more of an oracle feel, meaning that it was up to me what the meaning was, the imagery, everything. Um, so I enjoyed that a lot more than I thought I would. So then I started getting the idea of maybe doing an oracle deck because with an oracle deck, you can approach the cards more of from my background, which is more symbolism and um, Art Nouveau, so you, you're able to have a little bit more freedom with the cards. So it's uh, what I find interesting is that neither of you, and, and for those listening, uh, I, we didn't properly introduce Matt's wife. Matt's wife, uh, Hope, is uh, kind of sitting um, shotgun to the conversation uh, as well. So she'll, it sounds like she'll be hopping in and out to maybe clarify some things uh, as the resident, uh, at least historical esp- uh, expert on uh, tarot cards. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's, it's actually really intriguing to me that neither of you really actually have like, um, like any kind of uh, spiritual connection or like, no, know it like, well, I, maybe I shouldn't presume, uh, have you guys like been like done readings or been part of like the, I don't, I don't know the proper terminology. I'm going to say arcane world, but I don't know if that's accurate. Like, mm-hmm. or was like the idea to do a, I guess, you know, hope having all this history on the tarot uh, card deck was, was that just kind of like, Hey, you know, this art kind of falls in line with what you do. You should do one. And that was like both your first experiences with a tarot deck. Yeah, it's kind of a it was it was a first experience. I've I've always been intrigued. I, I love studying history, okay. um, and usually he gets pulled along with it because if you if you, history the especially esoteric history goes hand in hand with art history. Mm-hmm. Most artists, most of the classical artists, were delving into everything from cartomancy to um, what was science then. Um, Astro- astrology, um, things like that, and they would put that into their artwork. Um, so Matt's always kind of been pulled along because when I find something cool, I kind of show it to him. So I've been studying tarot, not the reading of it, but the history of yeah. it and looking at the artwork. Some of it's great. Some of it's very fluffy, which is perfectly fine. If that's what people like, you know, nobody should judge if that's a card deck you like. But I noticed that the only... Art Nouveau decks were, that were out there were, they went out and pulled, of course, a bunch of Mooka pieces, which are stunning, but they were just putting those on cards and it really didn't reflect the meaning as well as, as the card deck was supposed to be. Because Rider Waite, each card has so much robust symbolism to it that, um, that's one thing that I think that was kind of, kind of trying to stay away from us he didn't want to he's like that's a lot to take on so with his deck i had to kind of break it down the people we were working with kind of broke it down to say okay if you're doing this here's what's essential for these cards yeah and the, the art nouveau ones that she's talking about they um would take you know, well-known alphonse Mucha illustrations Klimt. and klimt they did klimt uh gustav klimt deck as well and it's force fit you know, they take mm-hmm. a card and they go, oh, that kind of looks like the Empress. So we'll use that as the Empress card. So it, 
to me was kind of insulting both to the to the artwork that they used and to the purpose of what they were trying to supply to the customer, which is a tarot deck that was Art Nouveau. So when Hope started showing me some of the other decks that were out there, um, you know, every time she showed me one, she would show me and we, we'd either like it or we'd have the view of, well, I could do that. So uh, <laughs> the only thing that was keeping me from doing it was the number of cards, because yeah. this is the largest project that I've ever done, was that tarot deck. And it was um, mainly, it was a state of mind for me of should I... Should I really take on a project this big? Because yeah. in the past, um, you'd ask me about my, my um, art background. So I've been working in art in some form or fashion uh, my whole life. And I mean, I remember being a little kid drawing Elvis Presley sketches at my aunt's house. Wow. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> so I've always been into art. And, um, but it, I had these huge ideas that I was going to be a comic book artist and I was going to work for Marvel and I was so into <laughs> Spider-Man and X-Men and, you know, Stanley was the man. He came to me every morning and Spider-Man is amazing friends. And I just, so I grew up with this mindset of, I don't care what I do, I'm going to do some sort of artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically spent the whole uh, college years uh, focused on I'm going to do you know illustration in some way and then when I graduated I did not do illustration um, and so going into corporate world because oh, wow. um, I like to eat um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, spent you know nine to five doing corporate but then there's still that drive to yeah. illustrate so um, to me it's if I can illustrate something that can be used for something that's great if not, I'm still going to illustrate it. Um, so there was a, you know, the couple of, well, about a decade that we got into the comic book field. I did a lot of stuff for, you know, Chaos Comics and, and companies like that and, um, did the circuits. We did, you know, Comic Con in San Diego and oh, wow. Wizard awesome. World in Chicago and, um, you know, we did the Florida and North Carolina. I think we did a couple others here and there, but I mean, we were doing them every year. Um, so we got a lot of a fan base from that and I got my first art book from that. So my mm-hmm. first art book, it was, uh, 2001, I think, um, was published by, uh, first it was published by a German company and then it was picked up by SQP, which is a, a big publisher here in the U.S. for, um, basically comic book and fantasy artists that work in that industry. So that kind of got me into that stream of other artists and just met a, a lot of great people, a lot of great artists, a lot of great art directors and that sort of thing. And just never, not, never stopped working in that capacity in some way um, while I still had the day job. Well, uh, the, the, well, obviously San Diego Comic-Con uh, popped, you know, stuck out when you were talking about the, the convention list. But uh, the other one that popped out is, is Wizard World because that's, you know, a big uh, convention that's just all over the place. Uh, when did, so what what time frame uh, was the your convention circuit or do you still do you still pop like tour the the convention circuit? Yeah, so we were we were doing the conventions. It would it would be around the same time. So all this stuff, you know, the the work doing the combo covers, mm. um, doing the um, art book, all that was around the same time. Um, so it would have been like the early 2000. Yeah, so I, I yeah, about 2006, I think, is when we stopped. Okay. Stopped going. But yeah, we did Comic Con probably three times. 
yeah. I think. And we live in Atlanta, so that was. Oh, a, it's awesome until you do it. It, it was is, a trek. <laughs> it is. It is a. It is exhaustive work, and it was fun. You meet like the greatest people, but it wears you. Out. And that was our vacations. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, so did you guys do? Um, Comic Con, uh, and when I say Comic Con, I'm talking about San Diego. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you guys ever do that as just um, you know patrons, or your only experiences as you know artists and vendors? It was vendors. It, we we're always we we're always vendors when we went to them. Um, and it's funny because when you go to these shows, <clears throat> you get kind of a there's there's a little bit of a brotherhood going on with mm-hmm. the um, other uh, exhibitors and especially the smaller groups. So. I mean, it, the, the funny thing about the shows was not so much um, what happened at the shows as far as, you know, selling things or, you know, making, you make a lot of connections, which if you follow through with them, usually come up to be some sort of business deal later mm-hmm. on, which is where you get your money back from the shows. But there was a lot of, you know, all the artists would go to, you know, a, an Italian restaurant one night and we'd all go and hang out and, you know, you got rows of artists that it's kind of a who's who kind of thing in these comic books, and here's little us, and they're <laughs> fun with them. But um, so we got to be really good friends with them, and we kept in touch with most of them. And then we would go to, say, we go to San Diego, we see a lot of them. And in a couple months, we go to Wizard World, and there's you know, 90% of those people that we just saw in San Diego are at Wizard World, so we do the exact same thing. So it got to be kind of, uh, kind of like a little group of friends that you saw every time you went to the show so that perpetuated the the need to go to the shows and spend the money but you know after a while you start trying to save money and cut costs so you have to cut them out but we it started trickling down i think that my i think megacon was probably my most enjoyable show just because i'm a comic book geek Mm -hmm. and wizard world was really fun just because i love chicago but um we ended up doing Dragon Con, which is here in Atlanta. Yeah. We started doing Dragon Con, you know, regularly for, for after we stopped doing the conventions, we started doing Dragon Con like every year because it's literally right down the road. The, uh, so, so Wizard, like my, uh, the one I'm, I've never been to San Diego Comic Con because, you know, as you said, that's like, I, I'm also on the East Coast with you guys. I'm on the, I'm in Philly. So that's, that becomes, uh, you know, a, a vacation basically if we were going to do it. And right now, my son's five, my daughter's uh, three. So, like, that turns into, well, I mean, really, they're not going to have a good time there because they're so young. So that's, like, more of a, well, in, like, ten years, we'll probably, I'll get the opportunity to go to that one. But Wizard World is is the big Comic-Con for me because they come to Philly. That's, like, a four, I think, I think uh, Chicago and Philly are... And I, I've recently learned those terms because my buddy actually did, was uh, an exhibitor there with his book. But uh, they're like the two, only two tier one cities or something that Wizard World has. Um, and uh, it's it's wild to me. I've been um, at least paying attention to Wizard World probably since 2002-ish uh, and have been to a couple shows from between then and now. And it's it's uh, kind of it's amazing to me how it evolves uh, from like when I started going in, in like oh two it was still big it was still like you know you had um, like Patrick Stewart was there and, and William Shatner and and um, and all these other like you know icons of, of sci-fi and, and geekery 
um, and it's changed so much. What was it like in like the late 90s, early 2000s up to when you guys stopped in 2006? Because I know the evolution for me has actually been like a roller coaster, especially this year for Philly was like, a, to me, a down year. Um, it's just kind of, it's, I, I like to see what the evolution is. Yeah, I mean, back then it was, um, it was especially with the uh, stars that would come, you could afford to actually go up to them, talk to them, and have them sign something. And one thing that I noticed um, early on was this movement to start not price gouging, but like take as much money as they possibly could from a person that wanted, you know, um, a signature from any of the Star Wars you know, fan, the Star Wars group got to be men behind the masks and we knew them bef- when it was like, you know, just a Jeremy Bullock and Peter Mayhew was like maybe four of them. And they were some of the group that we would go hang out with, you know, afterwards. And, um, they were just the nicest guys and it was literally, you know, 10 bucks for a autographed picture. And then after a couple of years went by, I started noticing as I go up to them because I'm not going up to them buying autographs, so I didn't really it didn't really dawn on me until I went up to them one time and they had kind of an upgrade in their booth. They were all in a row. They the had the, the big banners. They had the agents sitting next to them, and it was you know now it's forty bucks for a you know photo and a signature, and that to me was like one of the major things I started noticing with the shows was you started having it was no longer the you know. Jeremy Bullock, who plays Boba Fett, he wasn't coming there with his wife and his suitcases full of pictures. He was coming to, you know, the booth with his wife and a Coke, and the agent was there with all the photographs and all the signage and everything, and he just sat down and signed, and that was it. So the personal touch was kind of removed from it. So a lot of the artists um, started getting pushed out of the areas. I remember the last time we looked at doing Comic-Con, I think I got an email from them telling me that their area for the artist alley had shrunk because Lucasfilms had decided to take over like four more uh, booths to have their display. So naturally they, you know, you're not going to say no to Lucas. So they give them the area and you know, there's, you know, what is that? 16, 17 artist areas that are totally cut out that those artists either got to find a different place to go or can't go at all. So they started getting a lot more of the, the bigger, companies started coming in it became like the hunger games to get a booth and it's still <laughs> like that i mean it's just it's like we think about shatner fighting spock they give you you know yeah. two cons that go you want this table fight it out <laughs> yeah i mean it, w- it would like say the end of the show is uh you know sunday afternoon monday morning is the end of the show you've got the you know some of the people from the show walking around taking your your fee for the booth the following year so if you wanted ah. to reserve that table you need to do it right then yeah yeah, and that oh, stuff like that is when it started discouraging us because we're like, well, I don't know if I'm going to have you know two grand to fly out here, yeah, in, in a year from now. Yeah, and well, the cosplayers, it. yeah, the, the cosplay, and I love cosplayers. I think some of them do a great job, but it uh, it seems like a lot of the shows. I know Dragon Con is a big one with this, and it's a big party. Um, but you're so you're having people spend a lot of money on their costumes, and when you're going there, they don't have a lot of money to spend on merchandise. So there's usually they're usually there to buy either set things from bigger companies, or they might get a few smaller things from artists. But it really wasn't enough to break even to to mm-hmm. do the bigger shows and to do the shows. We we have to be very careful 
where we set up and to make sure the demographics are going to work for his type of art because it doesn't really fit into the classical art world and it doesn't really fit into the comic world so you have to find a good medium of of people that want to collect yeah it's um something that i you know as a as someone who's pretty much solely been to comic-con uh as as just a patron i this year I, I, I didn't go. I had the opportunity to kind of help my buddy man his table, but I just it, it didn't work out with, with what I have going on, too. Um, it I remember early on it being the, like, you know, I would be able to walk onto the floor and, like, walk past Patrick Stewart and walk past, hmm. uh, you know, whoever, like, was, was the, 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 I don't want to say big names, but, like, the big names. Like, they were all right there. And, like, I think the first year I went was, like, Heroes was big. Or it was one of the first years I went. Heroes was, like, the big show. So, um, mm-hmm. Hayden uh, Panettiere was, was at Philly uh, for Wizard World. And so that was the only person that was, like, secluded away from everybody. Uh, and then it was after that year when, like, they started doing that more and more and more. And... Which was fine because, like, I was there to, like, just kind of roam the floors and see some panels and stuff. And it was, you know, f- at least the years that I went, it was still interesting enough to where I could have a good time seeing the panels and, like, pr- like walk around and look at all the artist stuff and, and buy a few things here and there. Uh, I Talking to my buddy who, who was a you know, exhibitor there um, uh, this past year for Philly... Apparently, it's like all the vendors were very angry with how things were ran mm-hmm. uh, because it's, you know, it's it's getting smaller. It's um, they're not like uh, day four of four. There's still people, a lot of people who were worried about breaking even. Yep. Uh, so like it's it's um, sounds like it's getting tougher out there to be like a an indie artist and going to what used to be like a, a good con uh you know f- they've all been taken over by the major studios it sounds like yeah i mean and um so dragon con is is the our most recent experiences have been the drag con the past couple years and that's the same from vendors i mean that's there's a lot of vendors that you is dwindling down to where now it's just a couple of vendors that have comic books that are in the area and the rest of them are going to be you know outfits or dvds or you know manga type stuff so there's not much um there's not much there for like i guess the little guys and i think it's because the shows you know the price of going into the shows is so much that when a person goes in they don't have any money left to spend on anything yeah exactly i mean that was a huge deterrent for me for for wizard world philly this year was that even if I wanted to go for one day, it was like fifty dollars, and and as much as I want to go and support my friend who's who's like you know it's his first year promoting his book there and and spending a lot of money because he's also developing a card game, so he's he's doing that stuff. Like as much as I wanted to be there to support him, I was like, dude, like I can't justify fifty dollars to to see like there's no one there I really want to see or, or hang out like you know like it's it to me it's turned into like and it's not like i'm like oh i need all like the a-list marvel people there like i'm a huge fan of when like it sounds like this year uh i was comparing some different cons because with we started doing this show live at a a bunch of different places and and you know i'm trying to get into the con circuit 
um, because other, you know I've seen some other podcasters do it, and I, it seems just like a neat, fun idea. Like that's that's all my my main reason. Mm-hmm. And um, there's one in I think DC called Awesome Con, and that seems like it's like more like what Wizard World was about six to ten years ago, where it's like not it's not like your A-list. It's like Doctor Who people, and I mean mm-hmm. I guess that could be A-list now. I don't know, but. <laughs> It's like Bruce Campbell, who's, you know, to me, traditionally not an A-list guy. He's like a B-lister. And, like, all like yeah. all these people who, who I guess, like, in the film world are probably, like, B-listers. And then maybe in, like, the geekery TV world, they're maybe A-listers. I don't know. But it's just, yeah, yeah it just seems like the, like the scenes have become um, very unfriendly towards independence, I guess. And and even, like I said, even patrons. Like, it's hard, it's hard for me to justify spending... You know, fifty to a hundred bucks. It, it it has changed over the years. I mean, we, we're seeing. I know in Atlanta there are some small cons that are popping up yeah. the way they used to in the hotels. You know, when you went yeah. and you got your comics. Um, and you know the bigger cons they do have their place. I mean, you, people go and they have fun. Uh, and those those uh, the people that do the signings they work really hard. And there's yeah. some of the nicest people, but you can tell they are worn out. I mean, we're. We were at Matt's kind of an introvert anyway, so by the time he leaves, a, he doesn't even want to talk to anybody. He wants to go back to the room and have a beer and chill. Um, but it's it's kind of a pushed us into what we're doing now and in, in the growing uh, audience for crowdfunding um, yeah. because people we're going directly to the people who want the art mm-hmm. instead of you know the conventions we, we enjoy doing them and we'll probably still we might do a couple here or there and there's conventions for Tara there's conventions that are just for oh, illustrations and art um, but uh, when you go directly to the people and you, and you find out what they like like when we did the Tara card everybody was asking are we going to do an oracle and Matt had already had this oracle in mind and we've been thinking that we're developing a like a tabletop game, we're doing some books, we're doing some other uh, just regular playing cards. All of these are on the, the the table ready to go. And the good thing about it is we're able to talk to the people that are actually our customers. And mm-hmm. they have input. Like with this set, he has a group in there, and we ask people, what do you think about this card? What does this mean to you? What would you like to see? So it brings in, it, it, it creates a new experience beyond just going to shows and sitting there and talking to people. The people are actually part of the development with it. It's, uh, so so in this new age of, uh, I, I, and I don't know, I guess maybe the new age is not the right term for internet, but the the internet and i i guess it is right to say new age for crowdfunding has been kind of like um i guess like uh the safe haven for you guys or for indie artists where it's um almost like the old days of like forums and stuff where you can you know find a nice little community to to talk about your stuff and 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 uh but this way you, you know you're direct with your customers exactly that's the main thing you're you're you get direct feedback from the from the end user and customer, but you're also giving them uh, the opportunity to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, now, if you're a user of a certain product and you're constantly thinking, "Oh, I wish the you know this was in the whatever card," well, this is your opportunity to go and tell that artist, you know, I really would like this in there, and I'm going to help you, you know, have a justification for it being in the card or the symbol, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, that, and to an artist that. That should be ideal. I mean, what artists wouldn't want feedback before they even go down the path of, 
you know, producing something that somebody's not going to like. And that's like yeah. with graphic novels. We're seeing a huge flux of graphic novels coming in with crowdfunding. We've funded a couple of them. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's, it, you see these people that never would have had the time of day. I mean, we, when we were doing it, when Matt was signing, I'm on the floor trying to get him, you know, uh, work with, you know, different magazines or different things like that. And you see people pitching their stories and pitching their art only to get turned down, but this platform has has enabled people to bring their stories and their art to life and to actually get it funded and put out there. And some people just break even and some people make an obscene amount of money. Has, uh, was the tarot deck your first experience with, with crowdfunding? So I had actually done a couple of crowdfunding project campaigns before that I just failed miserably at. <laughs> and I think the, the issue was, yeah, she, she hopes waving her hands at me. It's because I was doing it by myself, and I was the artist going, oh, I can do that. Here, here's my crowd campaign. Why aren't you contributing my crowd campaign? <laughs> Hello, my crowd campaign, you know. And it, so it, it, it was a big learning experience. Um, the Terror Deck was, was a huge learning experience, but it, getting up to that point, um, and this is to anybody that's looking into doing it, it is a fantastic platform to utilize as long as you do your research, do your homework, and the campaign, think of it as the campaign itself is the icing on the cake. Yeah. If you haven't baked the cake properly, then when you get ready to put the icing on it, you're you're already going to lose and that's that's the thing with these kickstarters is you have to you have to have early um contact with the end customer you have to have early development with them you have to make them aware of it because i mean people don't know what they want they want what they know and you have to constantly remind them you know especially like you said especially with the way the world communication is now with the internet and just constant I mean, it's like Twitter. I hate Twitter. You know, Twitter is just people <laughs> sticking their heads out their windows and shouting. And if you hear them, great. And if you don't, well, they're going to shout again in an hour. You know, it's just, it's, it's, to me, it's just chaos. And if you don't know how to use it properly, then you're just going to get lost in the stream. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, and I'm, uh, I'm in my early 30s. I'll be 33 this year. So, like, I'm on that, like, the, the cusp of am I a Gen Xer or am I a, a millennial? And uh, Twitter's as far, like, you know, I, I, I'm from like the MySpace days, which, you know, obviously <laughs> failed. And Facebook has turned more into like a very personal, and, and I say that very loosely, like, but, you know, more of a per, like, at least as like, as me, as Kev, like, it's a very private profile that I don't, you know, it's, it's basically pictures of my kids and whatnot. Uh, but Twitter has turned into like the one where like I can go and, and I actually really enjoy Twitter cause it's just, it's, it's, it's actually the ease, like, I don't know, the podcast audience seems to be there. Um, yeah. and at least my pod- podcast audience is there and, um, and whatnot. But like, it's, it's, you know, I listen to guys like Jake and Amir from, from college humor. They do a podcast, um, and they talk about how, and they're around the, my, around the same age as me, but like their big following is Snapchat. And that's where like, I lose social media because like, <laughs> I become like the scared old guy. Cause I don't know what that means. And I don't know how to Snapchat and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> Where, what does um where, so so where do you guys find the most luck in social media? Like, do you draw the line beyond Facebook or Twitter? So I I utilize and I'm coming from an art standpoint. Mm-hmm. So I I, uh, I try and utilize things that are visual. Yeah. So I do a lot of Instagram, um, Tumblr, and Facebook. I'm most of my 
communication is going to be on Facebook just because I actually like the, the having the conversation. I think that's my problem with Twitter is it, I mean, it's probably just me not knowing exactly how to use it properly, but um, there's a, the, to me, there's a lack of a platform for a conversation. Like there's a response, but I haven't quite figured out how to get a conversation going. Mm-hmm. Whereas on Facebook, if you post something, you know, if I post an illustration, every car that I've done for this Oracle deck and I did for the tarot deck too, is when I'll, I'll post the sketch for it, the line work. And I'll say, what do you think? Give me feedback, you know, tell me now kind of thing. And I just, I love the feedback um, that I get because a lot of people, they'll, they'll love it or they'll you know, kind of like it. If it was, you know, if it had this element to it, they'd like it more. I mean, and I take all that into account. Obviously I'm not just doing what they say, but there's a lot of it that when they, they say it, I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. That head is two times too big. Um, but there's a lot of feedback I'm looking for through that. I'm getting a lot more of it from Instagram. So I think Instagram is that starting to pick, pick up for me a little bit more. But yeah, it's mainly uh, Facebook and Facebook groups. Mm-hmm. I'm in a lot of um, tarot deck groups that I'll post stuff and just ask them, you know, give me your feedback. Does this work for you? How would you use this card? You know, that kind of thing. You know, that's something that when, um, when I... St- because this show is only about a year and a half, two years old. Um, so prior to this, like, I didn't really seek out, like, a podcasting community. It was kind of like, oh, I'll just do my show and promote it, you know, wherever. And, and Reddit was one of the places which is just filled filled with evil people. Uh, and um, But, but uh, Facebook, starting to do this show, like, the – is probably like one of the most positive places that I've found a community. Cause even like Potter and family is huge on Twitter. Like you'll see if you're, if you're part of the podcasting community, you'll see a lot of hashtag Potter and family. And it's just a bunch of podcasters cross promoting. Sometimes you'll catch new listeners that aren't podcasters, but, um, and, but even that there was like some negativity when I would hop into through discussions, but through like, you know, local Philadelphia podcasting groups and, and just, you know, other podcasting groups, it's all like, it, it's it's very actual like beneficial to like you know either help people or learn from people you know and there is a lot of feedback in groups which is something that i just like even more so than pages like fan pages i don't feel get as much interaction as as groups do these days correct yeah i have both uh, my matt hughes page and i have the art of matt hughes and the art of matt hughes um it gets a lot of traffic a lot of likes you know i've got like I think I'm at three, almost 4,000 followers right now. But, you know, you assume maybe 500 of them are actually seeing what you're posting. Yeah. Um, but then my personal page is Matt Hughes. And I think it might be the way Facebook is set up, too. But um, Matt Hughes' page, I, I, I have a lot more interaction with people that way than I do on the Matt Hughes' art page. Yeah, it's uh, and social media is one of the like one of the hard things to probably the hardest thing to crack when it comes to like being your own marketer, uh, or at least as as from my point of view as a podcast as a guy who sits around and does a lot of creative things for free and and mm. and gets no money from any of it. Uh, it's like one of the hardest things just to like get like two more listeners uh, is something that yeah. has taken approximately. Uh, if this is, I'm going on 10 years in about two weeks, it's probably taken about nine and, and nine years and 50 weeks to, to kind of figure out because it's just, um, so it, you have to use social media, right. In order to like get people yeah. to come to you. 
Well, that and another thing I've I've noticed. Um, so with the tarot uh, project, it was worldwide. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of um, communication with people just all over the world, and it it didn't really dawn on me until that campaign and then going into this Oracle deck that when you post things to uh, social media, particularly Facebook, you have to keep in mind, you know, if I post something at 9 p.m. at night Mm -hmm. uh, here in Atlanta um, at 9 a.m. in the morning in, you know, China, someone is seeing my post. Yeah. So if, if if the mindset is, oh, the best time to post is in the morning when they're, you know, having their breakfast, well whose morning are you talking about? So you have to constantly like really pay attention to the times that you post and the days. And I mean, I'm, I'm still struggling with that. Hope, hope is like the, the master with the marketing. So she's been taking care of all the marketing and social media. And I just do the, I'll take the snapshots of the pictures and start throwing it out there. And then, you know, she'll tell me when's the best time. Media butterfly. When's Come the best on. time to post them? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm usually relying on her to tell me. So, um, but I think there's like a sweet spot. At, was it Tuesday mornings or something for us? Is a good time. Yeah. For the tarot. Usually when you're having breakfast. Yeah. For some reason, when I post it Tuesday morning, when I'm eating breakfast, I get a lot of responses. I don't know if that's. It's, I don't know if that's just that group or what. I don't know. Yeah, that's it's it is weird when you like, and I don't. Like one of the things I promised at myself when I started this show was like I would try not to be so like, um, like think of it like I would think I would just take it real casual. I wouldn't like like obsess over numbers and and stuff like that. But as the show has progressed and you know it's it's it, it gained track. When I stopped caring is when I I gained you know more traction. Uh, and so now I like, I start to try to pay attention to some of that stuff. It's like all right, I, if I want to. I need to use social media, so let me use it properly. And so, when should I be posting? And and I like for the most part, like I use you know the 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 platform I use. Like I just hit it auto schedule and pray that it does it right because it's just like I have to think of the tweet and then I have to think about how to like like when yeah. to post it. And I can it's like little building blocks for me. I, I it's one day I'll master it, but I'll probably be long retired from, from podcasting. Yeah. And I, and I think that you just helped me come to a realization. I think the reason why I like Facebook more than the other ones is because I don't have to tag anything in Facebook. (laughs) Yeah. I can put it out there. And so my response, whereas with, uh, you know, the other ones, particularly like Tumblr and stuff, I have to go in there and, Okay, what were the twenty-five tags that I use every time? Because otherwise, you're not gonna get in front of anybody, you know. Yeah. But then, then I'll send him to hashtagify.com that helps you do that. He just looks at me like I'm never gonna use this. I'm like, please use this. It'll help you because I'm, I'm, I'm just done. I've got these. I know these work. It'd be great if you could copy and paste it, but it doesn't even recognize it unless you go in and start fiddling with it. Yeah. It, oh God, that's like with with uh, Hootsuite or whatever. I have to, like, I, I yeah, it's the copying and pasting or like having it post like to both platforms at once and then i have to go in and edit everything to make it work if i did it for twitter i have to go in there it is it's it's in the and i mean all first world problems but like the 21st (laughs) century has really like become like oh my god what a headache to just communicate with people like it was supposed to be easier (laughs) yeah i don't even remember how to talk to people anymore (laughs) talking (laughs) hashtags and memes yeah and like I've had I've been lucky to talk to like uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm awful because I don't remember his name but um, I, I talked to um, this guy who uh, 
Like he wasn't, I mean, he started out as a comedian, but didn't really get anywhere with it. So like he was just a guy who had a nine to five and whatnot and started doing uh, meme comedy. And like, he's one of the biggest me, like he, all he does is, is like, he'll do like five to seven memes a day or something. Uh, and, and it's, you know, huge on Instagram, obviously. And he's become like a, a meme, uh, meme comedy is like, it's now like a thing and like, you can write books off of it and, and whatnot. And yeah, it's, it's, we're very much living in a, and and again, I'm, I'm probably on the cusp of like, I could follow either, follow either way, but like, it's literally pictures. It's back to ancient times, like, uh, hieroglyphics and whatnot or whatever. That's what I was about to say. We're talking, we worship cats online and we keep talking pictures. It's it's funny. It's funny the way that you say that because the, um, the main drive for the way that I did the tarot deck and the way I'm doing the Oracle deck is to do it traditionally. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the artwork that I was seeing, especially Art Nouveau, is so digital. Yeah. And digital has its place, um, but when it comes to my work, I want to do more of you know the hands-on traditional. I want to kind of follow the path because I come from a fine art background, mm-hmm. so I have a lot of experience with you know oil paints and watercolors and, and inking and that sort of thing and. You know, like figure drawing classes that lasted four hours in college were my you know, most enjoyable times that I had in college. Um, so when you get into doing uh, doing cards and stuff, you start looking at them, and, and a lot of them were, you know, photo manipulation or you know they're designed in um, you know different computer programs. They look cool, but for me, I really wanted to do something that was a traditional kind of feel to it. So then when you start looking into Art Nouveau, which is the the style, the the techniques, and everything that they were using, they're very, you know, if there's a mistake in it, that's just part of the charm. You know, they would go out of their way to to really have it as a. It, it was almost like a craft period of art, and it spawned from the Rococo period. So it was more of a um, craftsman type, you know, hands-on. You know, that's why you see these, you know, like the bed that is, you know, created from dragonfly motifs that you know you, you know that thing nowadays you would not find that room to go but <laughs> and if you did it would be you know thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars but back then that was the whole purpose of it was they wanted to have that artwork in a person's house so um i mean you'd have you know going back to muka or you know artists of that that area and that time they were doing you know, cigarette ads that were basically works of art. They were doing, you know, bicycle ads because bicycles were huge then. They were doing bicycle ads that were, you know, essentially nowadays is, you know, a piece of artwork that you'd have in a gallery. They were doing them as posters and, you know, half time people would pull them off the walls, you know, when they were walking down the street, they pulled the ads off of the, you know, the walls or the, of the, the streets and the buildings and keep it in their houses. And, you know, that was the idea was to have that artwork the artwork wasn't just for the higher elite; it was for everyone. It should be enjoyed by everybody. Century Guild was more the the the, um, the furniture that you see that a lot of people see the architecture and the furniture was meant to be um, more. If they wanted to return to a high craft, if people were doing things by hand, it wasn't mass produced, and it, if they wanted to have something where everybody could appreciate the time yeah, I mean, and the skill, yeah, like um, you know the. Furniture movement, you know, like Macintosh it was, you know, the furniture movement. The artist, the, the artist that started his group, his name was Macintosh. Um, you know, he was a huge uh, driver for bringing that into, you know, that craftsman, handmade 
style into people's homes and I mean most people are familiar with Tiffany Tiffany was another one of them he, he wanted to take your regular lamp chandelier you know whatever design you had in the house and make it a piece of artwork mm-hmm. so going back to the, the tarot deck that was the idea for me was I wanted to take that mentality that um, that drive they had for that you know, craftsman type feel of hands-on you know traditional medium in a, a form that could be in someone's house so I wasn't really intending to create you know these originals that you know not everybody can afford I was trying to make something that anybody could enjoy like everybody could have this deck and everyone could enjoy it and everyone could appreciate it well and that's when I you know browsing through the art uh, when I was doing the the least amount of research that I could do to, to try to you know not make myself a liar when I say I do no research uh, it was you know it's I'm not a, a, a tarot guy I'm not a, I'm not necessarily like a, an art guy like when I when I read a comic book for instance it's it's rarely for the art uh, I'm more of a story guy I'm more of a word guy um, I can very much appreciate you know art and whatnot and that's you know browsing through through your art it was you know stuff that like me as as the probably complete opposite of your your normal you know uh, clientele or or fan base like i'm able to sit there and and look at it and and appreciate it and and enjoy it because it's just it's you know i don't know for me it's all about because when you know you you uh, mentioned like art and what what, what type of art do you do <laughs> <laughs> so the style is it's art nouveau. Okay, art, okay yeah, art nouveau. I just want to make sure I was pronouncing it correct. Like right. I, for me, uh, is all art. It's like all, uh, and it sounds terrible, but that's just a guy who like I can barely draw a stick figure. So like that's the kind of guy you're talking to art wise. I'm more of a I can appreciate it, but it's like it's all. And, I, and this is probably like making your skin crawl, but it's all art to me. Like it's all the same thing to me. And, you know, I, I don't know any difference in styles. It's probably because I'm also tone deaf when it comes to music, so I'm probably visually deaf as well when it comes to art. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's for me, it's like as long as it, like it, you know, it's like oh man, that looks really good. That's usually what you know. At the end of the day, it, for me, as as the least artistic person you'll ever speak to. Uh, that's like, you know, like I said, looking through your art and through the stuff of the tarot cards, like I was like, oh man, this is really good. This like, it's like, you know, it just, it, it hit home with me for, for, you know, uh, just a little nobody, I guess. That's perfect. No, that's, that's perfect. That's, that is the basis of Art Nouveau and art. Art Nouveau is supposed to be, you know, art is beauty. Art Nouveau is to create beauty. So that's the whole idea of it is that everybody should be able to, you know, if you're doing it right everyone should be able to appreciate it it's uh so what you know from from the kid that wanted to draw spider-man uh to to this like how do you get from point a to to point b so i think it was more of i've seen a, a a trend in artists that when they um so i'm in my early 40s uh when you get to be in your early 40s you've been through some shit so you get to the point where you start taking it more seriously it becomes more of a voice for you and it becomes more of your own personal message for a better term but it becomes your own personal um, 
a path that you want to go with your artwork. So I think that if you look at my artwork, especially, you know, like we were talking about the, the book. Um, so when I started doing the conventions, one of the reasons why we left the convention circuit was I was doing basically fantasy pinup. Mm-hmm. So I was doing the very, you know, the, the playboy, attractive, whatever mermaid. Yeah. And was making money at it. And then when I started getting the point where I was like, okay, I can only draw this so many times and now it's going to, now it's getting old. Yeah. Um, and then when I didn't supply that to publishers anymore, they went for the next person that was coming up that was doing the exact same thing. So after a while, you start seeing a trend with younger artists that they, they're very reactive. Um, so like me wanting to draw a Spider-Man is a perfect example. That's what I was seeing. That's what I knew. So yeah, I want to draw Spider-Man. Um, I don't want to be, you know, thinking that, you know, 30 years later that I still, I should be drawing Spider-Man. Um, I want to have my own voice. And I think what the, the thing that happened with me was when, when you go through so many different life experiences and, and you have a lot more, um, art education because you're always as an artist you're constantly educating yourself and you're like a you know you should be like a sponge where you're absorbing everything um i mean i studied all pretty much every art movement for the past you know 150 years i've been studying it trying to you know kind of pick up what was the the good and the bad for for each movement and art nouveau just kind of spoke with me it it was funny because the Hope was actually the one that introduced me to Art Nouveau, and when I say Art Nouveau, she introduced me to Alphonse Mucha. So <laughs> from that point on, I was I got into Art Nouveau because it was just I saw it and it was like everything made sense. I bought you Delacroix um, Journal. Hmm? Delacroix Journal. Yeah. So I and I said I've got you know John Singer Sargent. There's I mean just every artist you can Klimt. I was I was huge into Klimt for for years and. Maxwell Parrish and Arthur Rackham and I mean pretty much any artist that I see as a you know golden age illustrator all the way back through to you know Art Nouveau the Baroque period I mean just everything um, I've just always been absorbing all these um, pieces and I think now um, I think the thing with this deck that helped me kind of go in that direction was the fact that it was allowing me to kind of take the symbolism of these cards and kind of reinterpret it in my own way it really gave me and you know it gave me 80 opportunities to practice and and specialize in a technique um it's before i because i know you have some stuff you have to do tomorrow and uh early tomorrow and it's east coast so it's late for us so before i let you go i i would it would be uh it would be a big mistake for me not to talk about since we we did prior to recording talk about your geekery and whatnot uh and and your love uh, obviously as a child to want to draw spider-man what i I guess uh two kind of geek centric questions i have for you uh, what do you think of the current day climate when it comes to like the comic books coming to the movie screen? Do you do you think it's a fair adaptation or? So I'm loving the Marvel Universe okay. adaptations of it. I think they just ever since. I mean, Iron Man. The first Iron Man was pretty cool. Yeah. The Hulk movies. I don't know. Did they make Hulk movies? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Iron Man was really good. <laughs> And then when they did, you blocked that out. I know, I'm, choos- I'm choosing not to think about that. Angley's um, Hulk is by far one of the worst comic book movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Right. Um, but I think that when uh, 
So they did Captain America. Yeah. To me, was like that was the movie. Yeah. And I still, I got to watch that thing. I've I've forced Hope to watch that thing probably eighty times. It's just they nail it, you know. Yeah. And it's just awesome movie. So when they went into Avengers, when we finally got to see Thor fight Hulk in the in the proper way, um, I just I was hooked. That was that was it. And Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy is just hilarious. I think anything with Robert Downey Jr. is is gonna be a hit. I mean, I'm he's one of my favorite actors. Um, so, so I'm looking forward to the, and like the new Spider-Man movie. It's funny because people ask about the Spider-Man movie. You know, Spider-Man has been redone so many yeah. times, and yeah, like the third one when they had the Venom and he was dancing on the table <laughs> and all this. It's just my God, you know. <laughs> give me a decade to forget about it and try again. So now they're they're trying again. So um, so I I like the new approach to it i think it's going to be really good so what, what are your thoughts because i've been reading uh i think the new spider-man movie looks great um and but one thing i haven't taken into consideration is that there is a lot of tony stark in it and and i've been reading recently that like some people are, are actually kind of upset that it, that it, the movie is almost like spider-man iron man power hour versus just a spider-man movie what's your take on that i think it was just that horrible that poster. poster that they came out. I guess they couldn't afford the Iron, Drew. The Iron Man poster. With, yeah, Drew Struzan. Drew Struzan, if you're out there, please come back to us. <laughs> to come out of retirement and do it again. Um, no, it, I I think it was... I think it has to do is on the fault of the production company. I don't think it's going to be, you know... I, I'm sure Iron Man will be in it, and I think that's kind of the mix that they are using with these Marvel movies that are making it so good is I think that each one, you know, except for like, you know, Captain America was very much a Captain America movie and Iron Man was a very Iron Man movie. But then when you start getting into the, when they started getting closer to the Avengers, they started uh, incorporating, you know, other characters like the new Thor movie has, you know, the Hulk in it. And I think there's no way that that new Thor movie, I was just discussing this earlier today, that new Thor movie if, if, if all accounts are correct, it looks like it's going to be lethal weapon in space. Like <laughs> I can't like the, the buddy cop movie with, with Hulk and Thor is yeah. what I want every Thor movie to be from now on. It's going to be glorious. I think it's going to be awesome. It's, I mean, just the previews where he was like, Oh yeah, we work together. I'm like, <laughs> Oh yes, that's Thor. Like it's yeah, Thor. Thor those, those were some good ones too. Like that. I love, cause that was another one I was into. Anything it, it, hanging above your art table. Yeah, I've got an old Thor poster hanging above my art. 1981? No, 1978. 78? I think. Um, but, yeah, it's it, the first Thor movie, I love the fact that they they were true to the comic book as far as they made him kind of a, um, sh- not a child, but he wasn't Goofish. really. Yeah, and he was very much a, yeah. like a, he was kind of a brat, you know, mm-hmm. and, they, and they kind of developed the character all in that one movie. Um, and I think they've used him sparingly enough that, you know, hopefully this one will be a big, a big hit for him. And I'm really looking forward to, um, you know, the Infinity Wars and I, Thanos has always been just a huge, I've always loved Thanos. I'm kind of, I'm, I think that they're going to have Adam Warlock, but then yeah. I hear they're not, which I hope they do because he was, lie. yeah, they yeah. always lie, but he's, he's all, another favorite of mine. Yeah. It was hopes pointing to, uh, the Wonder Woman poster so we went and saw wonder woman okay what's your take on that because i saw that recently as well yeah i I cried i have been waiting for this for so long i thought it was it had faults but (laughs) growing up because i grew up in the you know in the 70s 80s we didn't have our role models were were kind of sparse as women and uh 
I was really terrified that it was going to suck. In fact, <laughs> like I was, I was, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was, it was after Batman versus Superman, she kind of saved the movie. I was still like, I don't know. And Matt, Matt was terrified. Cause like, oh, I don't want it. Cause he told me, I'm so glad you like this. But the minute we left the movie, um, and I'm all emotional, I'm geared up and talked about it. He ordered the, uh, preview posters from a, a collector that are the, the coming soon. So they're up on my wall. Nice. So now she's got like five Wonder Woman posters all down her wall. It's hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, I was just scared. I wasn't so. Sc- I was scared for you because I'm sitting here and I'm having flashbacks of Peter Parker dancing up on the table. <laughs> I'm like, I know what that feels like. I don't want you to experience that. It's horrible. It is. Uh, I was very happy with it. It's you know. I'm, so I before I watched Wonder Woman, I recently was able to sit down and watch Batman vs Superman for the first time, uh, which again I didn't see, like. I say this a lot recently because we've been talking about Wonder Woman on, on the last few episodes um, that I've recorded and uh, Batman versus Superman. If you can't like that should sell me alone. If, if your trailer makes it so that I don't want to see that movie, like you did something wrong uh, <laughs> because it's a, I love Batman B. I love Ben Affleck as Batman. Like I couldn't be happier about that. And, you know, despite my feelings of Man of Steel, like, which I was not a fan of, uh, you know, I was like, I can get behind Batman versus Superman, like the, like two of the greatest superheroes punching each other in the face is fantastic. And mm. I like this, the trailer did everything that it wasn't supposed to do. And that was keep me home. Uh, <laughs> and I was able to watch that movie with, with such low expectations that I was actually like, eh, I mean, it's uh, the, I'll watch it. The director's cut. Did you see the director's cut, the extended uh, cut? No, I watched whatever was on HBO. So no, watch the director's cut because the the regular one was kind of unwatchable, like a giant video game that they had vomited up on the screen. <laughs> it was so hard to watch. Yes. The director's cut was actually tolerable. Well, the director's cut was good because they had a lot more Wonder Woman in it, and they had a lot more development of the story, and to the point where we got because we saw it in the theater. And we saw it again. We we're like, we're like, oh, yeah, it's extended. Well, it's kind of better. Well, it's kind of, yeah, it has extra scenes. We'll watch it. And at the end of it, we we're both like, why didn't they have this in the theater? This was good. It's kind of like Suicide Squad. Suicide yeah. Squad is the same. Suicide Squad, I didn't see it in the theater. Eh, in the theater. In the theater. But then I saw the the director's cut, the extended cut. And she, the first thing she said was, that was actually a lot better than what was in the theater. Like, yeah, I, I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. So it's like they cut out so much that it just didn't, I don't, I don't know what they did to it. You know, I have, I have to ask this one question that I wanted to get to. We went on the movie tangent. Uh, if you could do, uh, as, as current day, uh, Matt, if you could do a comic book, uh, would like from one of the big studios, which one would you do? If I could do any comic book line. Yeah, it, from one of the I'm saying from one of the like from Marvel or DC. Let's let's limit it to that. I think the uh the Infinity Wars would be awesome. Just cuz I'm kind of like into that right now. Like I I love the Avengers um Adam Warlock, Thanos, I mean that whole I was very much into the Spider-Man um you know the early Spider-Mans when I was uh, getting into it and then I started getting into the darker stuff and then now yeah. I I think I would love to do something with that I think it would be really fun. Yeah, I, f- I feel like that's every kid's kind of project. Like I I actually I think wrote a blog a couple of years ago like descri- describing like I think every kind of at least from a, a a you know a boy's point of view or a male's point of view like our our kind of like the comic book heroes we look up to and everyone kind of starts at Mm spider-man and like 
I would say a majority of us kind of end up somewhere around Batman at some point because mm-hmm. uh, it's it's almost they are kind of like the opposites, like lighthearted to to grimming you know, birdie and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, that's kind of darker in the light and whatnot. Yep. Spider-Man's a gateway drug. <laughs> yeah, I, for me it was Spider-Man and the X-Men. It was um, the mm-hmm. '90s. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. I'm sure I probably read cartoon or read the uh, comics beforehand, but like my earliest memory of anything comic book related is uh, coincide. Two things coincide together. It's the old school Marvel trading cards. from the i assume 90s that that had like their stats on the back and whatnot and um and the 90s animated series for spider-man and um and x-men yep they were my gateways yeah yeah i mean i I can remember being a kid and going to dragon con and my brother took me to dragon con and we waited in line i had a couple of x-men comic books and i waited in line for john byrne uh, to sign them and he finally got there and it was just like just the the biggest it was the biggest trip for me to meet him and have him sign them and then five years later i'm standing in line with some spider-man comic books and i meet todd mcfarland oh that's awesome and the first thing he tells me is if you want to make money do not get an effing comic books you know i mean he <laughs> <laughs> was very very uh to the point about it and he was awesome i mean i i, I really enjoyed talking <laughs> with him but he was he had just started doing spider-man and it was at a comic book shop in greenville i think and he was sitting at a table and i walked over with my portfolio you know I'm, and I'm, a, I'm like you know junior high kid and i'm walking up to him with my little portfolio and i lay it out in front of him and, he flips through two pages and then folds it closed. And I'm like, you don't like my stuff. And uh, immediately starts telling me, so what do you want to do with your life? I was like, I want to draw combos. I want to draw Spider-Man. Why? Because I like Spider-Man. But why? Um, I don't know. It's, it seems like it'd be a fun job. Okay. Do you want to make any kind of money? Yeah. All right. If you want to make money, don't get into effing comic books. You know, I'm like, okay. And he goes, this big, long thing about, they don't pay you and they work you to death. I mean, just all this stuff, you know, this comes a guy that, you know, spent what a million dollars buying a home run baseball one time. So he did well for himself, but yeah, it was just, you know, he told me that. I remember him I specifically remember the conversation. I remember the conversation and, um, I remember going home on the way back home. Cause it was like an hour drive going back home. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do with my life now? You know, <laughs> I'm already 15 years old. What am I going to do? You know, so, you still have that rejection letter from Marvel. And I have a, reject, a <laughs> I have a rejection letter from Marvel. Yeah, I sent. You're like eight. Yeah, I sent in my stuff. My mom was like, yeah, you know, you, you should send in some stuff to Marvel and let them look at it. You know, Marvel Comics, of course, <laughs> New, New York City. You know. Yeah. So she so she sends it in for me, and this is back when they used stamps, and uh, <laughs> so she sends it in for me. And um, it was literally just like I drew Wolverine, you know. I drew Wolverine. I drew the Hulk, you know, and just stuff like that. And I'm sure there was an Elvis in there somewhere. But um, so then I, months and months and months went by, and I, I heard nothing, you know. After a while, I honestly started forgetting about it. And then she says, I got something to show you. I know you're going to be upset, but I've been kind of reluctant thinking if I should show it to you or not. And I was like, okay, what is it? So she gives me the letter and it's a letter of rejection from Marvel. They, they thought I was applying for a job. 
<laughs> so I'm like, I wasn't applying for a job. I wanted feedback, you know. But so she's like, Oh, you're not upset? I'm like, no, I'm not upset. You know, I didn't want a job. I'm too young. Um, that's that's so awesome. That, yeah. So I still had the letter, and what was so cool about the letter was, and I can't remember who signed it, but um, it was you know it was some executive, whatever, probably secretary signed it. But uh, the stationery had this really cool. Uh, Spider-Man illustration on it. And I thought that was just so cool that there's this letter, official letter from Marvel Comics telling me that I'm not good enough with <laughs> Spider-Man on it. It's just, you can't get better than that, you know? That's pretty cool. That's like... Do you have that, like, hanging somewhere? No, I need to. I need oh, to. God, that would be, like... I, I, definitely something that I would have to have like on my wall. Weird. Yeah. If I was, well, I, hang, I, got a, I got a letter from St- um, Steve Ditko too. I'm gonna sign. The, um, have that hanging next to each other on the That's wall. Awesome. Remind That's me. So so cool. <laughs> uh, all right. So before we officially let you go, the whole point of this conversation was your your new Oracle deck that you're uh, that you're working on. So uh, give us some information about that where people can uh, find it on Kickstarter and help support the creation of that. Yeah, so I um off the feet of the tarot deck that I just finished, I'm also doing, now I'm doing an oracle deck that's in the same style as the tarot deck. So the whole idea of it is that they're supposed to be um, similar veins, uh, similar style, and it also has goalie, I think it's 36 cards, um, but it's done in the Art Nouveau style. And you can go to either Art dot com or you can go to our publishing site which is etherealvisionspub.com and we have links to it on both or you can find me on Facebook or um, either the art of Matt Hughes or just Matt Hughes not not the UFC fighter yeah. <laughs> um, but so the in the so the Oracle deck itself is going to be 36 page or 36 cards it's going to have you know probably an 80 page booklet that comes with it that explains the cards and it's just been a lot of fun. It's kind of given me an opportunity to, I mean, like the most recent picture I did was just called The Memory. So it was, it's so wide open for interpretation and symbolism that it's, I'm, I'm loving it. I think it's going to be fun. And, and we're working with a reader. Yeah, one. we have, um, so just like the last one, with this one we have uh, two professional readers that we've been working with. One of them, uh, we're actually hired her to help write the book. So she's going to, really dive into uh you know card spreads how this oracle deck can work with the tarot deck that we've done um as well as like the meanings of the cards and how they can be interpreted you know when you're doing readings with you know clients it's it it sounds what, what i love about it is it sounds like it's not just creating the art for it there's like so there's like a story behind it and i'm a story guy like i need to have a don't have to have perfect dialogue don't have to have perfect acting or perfect art or anything i have to have a i have to have a story with my with my uh whatever i'm ingesting so i love that like it's not just and, I, and i'm sure this is true of just tarot and oracle in, in general but first i'm really having any kind of conversation about it so i just love that it's just you know, and especially since it's indie, like you're doing everything for it. It just it sounds really cool. Yeah, I mean, in the we have a what they call it, stretch goals. You know, if you reach a certain level over the funding, all these things can happen. And we have a stretch goal that's for a, a full book that goes into detail not only of the cards and their meanings and everything, which is the normal booklet, but it also has a story 
that Hope is writing or can write for the cards that is just that. It's a journey through the cards. It's an explanation of, you know, how the cards work together in the story. No pressure. It's going to be cool. Yeah. yeah, but we got all kinds. I mean... Um, We've got the Flash sale that's going on Monday. Too. Yeah, we actually have... So we have a Flash, what they, what they call a Flash reward. It's not obscene. No. Not yet. <laughs> please, please do not send us photos. Um, but it's a Flash reward. And what those are is... So you, you have a campaign that lasts 30 days... You have a lull in the beginning, or the middle of it. The beginning, you'll have a, you know, kind of a kick when it starts, and then you'll have a lull. Well, you might have like two reward purchases a day, and then near the end of it, it kicks back up because everyone's rushing around to get it before it ends. Um, so in, in the meantime, while we're in the lull right now, because we've got 19 days to go, uh, 18, 19 days, we're doing these uh, flash rewards. So what they are is they'll... You know, one of them I'm posting is an original piece of artwork, the sketch that, you know, usually the sketches I charge like $75 for the sketch for this. It's with the, with an Oracle deck where it's like 25 bucks. So it's really fast. You know, these things are going to be put up, um, on the Kickstarter. They're going to be either one of a kind or they're going to be limited to, you know, maybe 10 or 15, you know, copies and then they get pulled after three days. We're doing it every Monday and Thursday. Very cool, very cool. I am so I, I I'm so disappointed that I missed out on the uh, the tarot stuff because it's one of the I don't know one of the, my new things is I, I've always been a big supporter of indie, but like I've been trying to get more and more into like the actual like helping indie out. Like hopefully like one day it will pay it forward and for me when I do something, but. Uh, in the meantime, just you know, I, just anything that's interesting. So I'm I'm sad that I missed out on the tarot, the tarot deck. But I'm I, I'm going to uh, along with hopefully all the legions of super friends, they're going to go to the Kickstarter, <laughs> uh, and and uh, pledge some cash towards it because it's it is such a fascinating thing. And for me, it's like just I like looking at the art, and I'll, I I don't know that I'll do anything more beyond just appreciating the art. But uh, I you know for me, that's all I need. It's it's just super cool. Well, that's been uh, one thing that I've noticed that I've loved is I've had a lot of people, you know, you have a lot of tarot users and, and um, you know, users of the of the decks, but then you also have people that will contact me and they just, you know, they just love the artwork. Mm-hmm. They buy the deck. Obviously, they're never going to use it, you know, in the way that it was designed to be used, but they really appreciate the art, um, which is why we're thinking of maybe doing the next thing could be maybe an art book that is just the illustrations from the two, the tarot deck and this oracle deck actually do it like an art book that Mm -hmm. shows a lot of the process and the sketches and you know the story behind it and that kind of thing it's all very very exciting um we'll have uh in the show notes all the appropriate links to where you can find Matt, his artwork, and you know direct links to the Kickstarter and stuff, just in case you missed it uh, during the end of our little conversation here. Uh, is there anything else that you want to uh, plug away before we officially let you go? No, I just um, you know if you do find the Kickstarter, make sure you follow us because we've got. I know right now we've got like five projects underway that are you know all lined up for the next I, year i heard you uh, drop something about tabletop and that's uh, that that perked my ears <laughs> so that's be- that's something we're, we're putting in the future we're um 
it's we we've got two possibilities and they may may end up flushing out. It's something that I'm having to learn. We're it's learning on the fly. Yeah. Um, but we want to put out a game that's going to be fun, easy. We want, we want to make it to where it can be played in two hours. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Um, but it's going to be very art centric. So the the game is going to be designed well. Um, so that, we may start developing on that the end of this year. So we're maybe about a year out before, I mean, we're having to find people that can actually make the pieces and help us design mm-hmm. the, the board. Yeah. But, um, it's, I've, I'm just a secondary per Like I'm just a, 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 the best friend of someone who's designing a game and I have a headache about finding <laughs> all that stuff. Uh, so I can only imagine once you're, you're doing it yourself, the, the craziness. It's a, good, it's a big gamble, you know, yeah. it's a big, yeah. a lot of time. Yeah. So I, it's, I'm definitely going to follow the Kickstarter or, or your stuff just for that, probably for that reason alone, if I'm being honest, because that I, I'm a, a big fan of, I've been becoming a bigger, bigger fan of like tabletop games from anywhere from card to board to RPG. So like, I'm really, you know, especially indie stuff. Like I, I'm trying to get into more and more with that. Cause uh, there's more than just Monopoly guys. So. Oh yeah, and this this is kind of like it falls into my geeky stuff because it has to fall in it. it let's just it, it'll be a little hint. It'll fall into history and literature. Cool. cool <laughs> it's uh it's gonna be and we, like I said we have a newsletter too that you can sign up on uh, our Ethereal Visions pub page. Um, so make sure you do that. So because everything that we do we launch with our newsletter first. So okay. People who are on our on our newsletter get the insight of what is coming up next, whether it's going to be um, a book. Uh, illustrated book, whether it's going to be a game, whether it's going to be another card deck. We're looking at some traditional poker style card decks mm-hmm. um, that, and they're going to we're going to put them out in. Uh, they'll, they'll have about three or four that all go together, right. so it'll be you can collect all of it. Very, very cool. I'm super excited for you guys. Thanks for doing the show, guys. Thank you. This was fun. Yes, and. Hope to have you back on. Uh, maybe another time we can be on. We can get a little bit more casual and talk, uh, get more into the geekery stuff. Uh, I just was super fascinated about art and tarot. So uh, I like. Anytime you, want, anytime you want to talk art, I'm always available. Very, very Our comic cool. books. He's always up for comics. Uh, that's the same thing. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, make sure uh, you, if you paid attention through the uh, through the interview, make sure you you check out all the links that they threw at you. If not, like I said, they're in the show notes. You can follow this show on Twitter at Real Awesome Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at That Nerdy Kev. Uh, that's where I do most of my tweeting and twatting. Uh, for the show, you can find us on awesomepodcast.com. We're also part of the Core Temp Arts Podcast Network on coretemparts.com. For everything is awesome, I'm Kev. We've been awesome! Thank you for listening to the Core Temp Arts Podcast Network. To listen to more Core Temp Arts shows, visit coretemparts.com.